Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. We're going to talk about joy for the next three weeks. In fact, the pursuit of joy. Look, there's someone that's already got joy. I don't need to preach. She'll go and have a coffee. It's all good. (laughs) The pursuit of joy. I was wondering, because I've been thinking through this myself, I was wondering what it is for you. What, What is that moment? You know the moment that I'm talking about? Maybe you've had a couple. You think of that moment in your life in which the joy that you experienced in that moment was just so sweet, so transcendent, so out of this world, so more than you that you could just never forget it. I mean, that, that, that moment that you, here's what you'd probably do, you'd probably keep replaying it, don't you, over and over and over and over in your mind. Maybe it was the birth of a child, maybe it was a, a certain moment with friends. For me, oh, it was clear as day, 1987. It was Christmas time, Christmas Eve, I could smell the pine needles in my nose and as I walked down the hallway I thought I, I just I, I hope it would be there, I, I just hope it would be there and as, as I opened up my Santa sack, um, of course there it was, not one but two gifts that I've never forgotten, the first one was a Sony Walkman, yeah. Like the ones with the ones with the, the foam, the foam, the foam little bit of ear, earphones and the wire. It was cutting edge at the time and no Bluetooth back then. I was wired straight into that thing. And most importantly, that made it all the more sweeter as, as the, the burgeoning musical six-year-old that I was. It was a copy of Michael Jackson's Bad on tape. Yes, I know. See, it's why I keep reliving this moment. It doesn't get sweeter than that, does it? Sounds like you've all shared in Michael Jackson's Bad then. You know what I'm talking about, right? Is it just me or do those moments start to escape us as we grow older? We yearn for them. We wish we could have them back. And so we're constantly caught in the pursuit of joy. In fact, I'd like to say this morning that all of us have a a joydar. It's like a joy radar. There's always something that that your heart is tuned into that is is constantly... You are constantly trying to hone in and find on something that would bring that something or one thing back to you into the present again so you could just taste it, right? And so we are constantly caught up in this freneticness of the pursuit of joy because we feel the fragility of our joy. We feel that, we know it, we sense it. Many of you are feeling that this morning and I share a quote which says it no better. I've shared this before, but Frank Commode, the British literary theorist said this, that there is a sort of calamity built into the texture of life. To hold a happiness and joy is to hold the understanding that the world passes away from us, that the petals fall and the beloved dies. No amount of mockery, no amount of fashionable scowling will keep any of us from knowing and savouring the pleasure of the sun on our faces or save us from the adult understanding that it cannot last forever. He puts it so beautifully. What we feel in a deep problem with joy is that we know that it can't last forever. And so we are constantly caught up in this joy, this pursuit of joy in order to try and get a bit of that back, right? Why is that? Why do we do that? I'd like to suggest that it's because 
when we've had those sorts of moments, we actually really, and that's why we're going to talk about joy for three weeks, we actually haven't fully understood what joy really is. And so we keep pursuing these things thinking that they would have joy in them. Like you've heard people thinking, maybe you've thought this, if only I had, if only I drove, if only I won, (laughs) if only I could keep, if only I knew, then I would feel better about myself, then I would be happy, I would be joyful. And we've all said that to ourselves and we've spent a lot of time and money chasing after joy but it always feels just out of reach no matter what you do, no matter what you achieve, no matter what you acquire, we feel that. My thesis for this morning is that, that all of us at one point or another have, have attached our hearts to the Michael Jackson bad tape, to these things, thinking that they will bring us joy. And yet as C.S. Lewis, the great writer, said, It is these things that betray us, for the joy was not in the thing, but the joy came through the thing. So how do we get joy? Because your heart, my heart yearns for that. We want that. Might I suggest too, we're built for that. How do we get that? And we see here in Philippians, we see Paul, as Craig said so well, here's a guy who... He's in chains, he's in jail. He's, I want to say chains, like literally in chains. He is literally chained to a guard 24-7. Can't go to the bathroom by himself, he's chained to a guard. Like, how's, how's that for your humility? This is a guy who was at the top of his game career-wise, planning churches around the countryside, doing amazing things for God, seeing great miracles, doing incredible things, and yet here he is in chains, in jail, and his response to the people that are worried about him, because they're naturally thinking, if that can happen to you, Paul, then what's going to happen to Christianity, this message that you're preaching? And what's Paul's response? I rejoice. I rejoice. In fact, 15 times throughout the book of Philippians, you could call Philippians the book of joy. Paul is saying, I rejoice. I'm happy. It's good. It's fine. I found it. Chapter 4, we'll talk about that week 3. I found joy. So here is Paul in chains, in jail. Career is gone. Things are gone. All the things that we would think would bring us joy. Is that my phone? I thought it was for a second. It's okay. It's not me. I knew this guy down here, he's always like, you know, he's trying to call me on the Apple Watch in the middle of the service. (laughs) All these things, (laughs) all these things like phones, you'll hear that in a second, that we think will bring us joy, they don't. Paul has lost all of this and he says rejoice, which means one of two things for us this morning. Either Paul is cray cray, (sighs) he's crazy. He's lost the plot in his final days in this jail and it's, it's, his, it's his weird utopian way of dealing with the situation. Or he has found something that there are principles and there is a resource within Christianity that if you and I could discover what this guy has discovered, we are going to be able to cut through life like a knife cuts through butter. So you want to know what he learned? Hmm? Here, 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 Paul gives us the first hint here in Philippians chapter 1. He says, verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
And so here's how Paul first does this. And this is what this passage teaches us is that it's not the circumstances of life that determine your joy. It's the way that you define life that determines your joy. Here's Paul's definition. For me to live, my life is defined by Jesus and to die is gain. Now, some of you are already saying, oh, great. That's such a preacher answer to how you find joy. Yeah, the answer is always Jesus. (laughs) Now, here's, here's more specifically the principle. The answer is always Jesus, yes. But here is the principle. The principle is this, that joy is more about a who than it is a what. True joy is always more about a who than a what. We learn this in life. We learn this really early, but we forget as we grow older, don't we? You think about all of those fun moments that you had as a kid. Have you ever had that happen or ever ever said this? I'm sure some of you older folk, you always say this. This is how how you talk. You see all your grandkids on the PlayStation 4s and the Xboxes and and all of the multitude of toys that are around them. And, and, And you turn to your friends when you're in church or you turn to your son or your daughter and you say, you know, in my day, you know, I could just play with a stick. And we would be happy for hours. <laughs> just give me, what's wrong with kids these days? Just give them a gum leaf and a rainy day and a gutter and they're going to be fine. If you ever caught yourself saying that? <laughs> or ever caught yourself when you see this younger generation bestowed with beautiful houses and beautiful things and, and you've come from the wartime. Or you've come from parents that have been in wartime. You've come from parents that have to save newspaper in, in, in order to um, go to the bathroom properly during that time. And, and you look back on those moments and some of those moments were the sweetest moments that you ever had regardless of what was around you because you had a few who's. You had a good friend. You had people in your life. You get... You don't have to be wartime generation. You know this. You get as long as you got a primary school or high school. As long as you, as long as you had someone to do life with in that moment. As long as you had a few who's around you, you were fine, right? So joy is always more about a who than a what. And isn't it true that many of our sweetest moments are with who's? Joy is always associated with a who or two. But also the problem with joy is that. Uh, if, if, if you've got a what for your joy, then it always leads to a what else. It's like caffeine. It wears off. It falls off a cliff. It, it, it wears away. I mean, it, 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 you, you had a joy. You had a joy and it was amazing and your new phone was fantastic, but it's September already, which means there must be a new iPhone out. And so now that that iPhone, you felt the joy back then, but now that has faded. And so now you've got to get a new iPhone because that's going to bring you new joy. But then the new phone's going to give you the same level of joy that the old phone gave you. <laughs> so I've got to get a new one. And look, it's the same. I've got to get a new car. I've got to get a new house. I've got to get a new something else. <laughs> it, it always wears off. And so oh, I want you to get this. If... Um, if an, if an aging what diminishes or steals your joy, then you never had true joy to begin with. A bit more, a bit more evidence around this before we then move on to the point as to how, how Paul does all of this. Joy is always about a who. Here's, here's why. Look, at the end of, end of their lives, people, people never have possessional regrets at the end of their lives. They have what? Relational regrets. 
You know, I, I'm a pastor. I've, I've at least been at a couple of moments with the family here and people on their deathbeds. The, the last thing that I have ever seen in that moment that, that someone crawls up out of bed and says, Honey, could, could, you, could you go back and get me my favorite pair of shoes? Honey, can you go back and get me my iPhone? It's about the who. We're at the end of our lives. We're never going to want a what. We're going to want a who. So joy is always about the who. So when Paul says to live is Christ, he's not just giving you a Christianese answer. The answer is always Jesus. What Paul is reflecting to us, and it's going to take us three weeks to unpack, is that something has happened over the course of his life that understands this. And I reckon you understand this as well, by the way. I think this is just a reminder. I think so many of you, when you did the Christian move this morning, just then in a couple of these points, it was great to see. Mm, mm. We were doing that because, yeah, that's right. So I, I don't think I'm preaching anything new to guys this morning. I think we already know this, but we forget this. And so now we look at, well, how did, how did Paul find this joy in the midst of all of his circumstances and what makes christianity different here's just two things this morning here's what paul does paul was able to see the alchemy of joy paul was able to see the alchemy of joy verse 12 here it is he says now i want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel and then in verse 19, he says, I want you to see that what has happened, the evil, terrible things that have happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you know what? I never would have planned this. In fact, if you had have asked me at the beginning of my you know, road to Damascus, and Jesus said, what should we stitch up for you, Paul? What would you like to do? Where would you like to go? What would you like your ministry career to look like? Paul's saying, mm, jail chains having to go to the bathroom with a guy standing next to me probably not on my list of what I how I wanted my ministry to turn out right and I figure if you've had an encounter with Jesus maybe Jesus would give you the benefit of the doubt to give you that sort of golden career through and he doesn't Paul says uh you know I've, I've come to realize this first of all this is not what I have asked for but I am coming to see the alchemy of it all that this is actually this horrible thing is seeking to advance the gospel and so what he's what he's talking about is the alchemy of, of joy. And that is that back in the Middle Ages, the, the alchemists were people trying to find a secret. You know what the alchemists did? How they wanted to try and take lead and turn it into gold. So they're trying to find all magical ways to take lead to gold. What Paul is saying in this verse is that the way that I've discovered joy is to step back and ask the question, God, how are you taking this baseless, hopeless situation and turning it into gold? Christians ask that question. Christians are able to step back from their circumstances and say, how are you turning this into gold? And he doesn't stop there. By, by the way, as a side note, Paul doesn't expect to see the whole picture. Paul says, I hope I get a glimpse of this. I, I hope that you guys, the Philippian church, can get a glimpse of this. I'm not trying to see the whole picture, but I can see now that everyone knows about Jesus, the guard, everyone else in the palace knows about Jesus, he doesn't expect to see the whole picture. He just gets a glimpse. He just says, I hope I can see around the corner. And so the 
here's what it means for you. It means that, look, if you, like Paul, can step back from your circumstances and try and see the alchemy of joy in this, Lord, what are you doing to turn this situation into gold? You are way ahead of everyone else in life. Because it's not the, how the world operates. And most importantly, like joy is not happiness, right? Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is far deeper than that. Here's what joy is. Joy is a spiritual buoyancy. That means when these circumstances push down on you, um, you might go under for a little bit. And some of you this morning might feel like you are under and that there is no hope. And you are underneath the surface of all that you can cope with. But a joy is the sort of thing that, that, that you pop back up. And so what it means for you in that moment is that, look, okay, as a Christian, yes, it's okay to feel down. Yes, it's okay to feel depressed. Yes, it's okay to feel like life is swallowing you up. But when you trust in the alchemist, there's a moment in which you go, boop, and you pop back up to the surface. <laughs> And we've seen that amongst people here, right? So I love the variability of the imagery that Paul gives us here. He says is that God is the true alchemist and I'm rejoicing in that. But more, more importantly, he doesn't stop there. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by me, the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, in, in layman's turn, he's saying these horrible things are actually saving me. You're thinking... This is crazy. From, from what? How the heck could being in jail in chains be saving you? How could bad circumstances be saving you? And Paul's saying, because it's making me the man I want to be. It's refining me. It's challenging me. It's growing me. It's making me more like my saviour, more a man of love, more a man of humility, more unlike that man on the road to Damascus that was trying to persecute the church, and more like Jesus. <sighs> Now, this is advanced Christianity, by the way. So if you're writing it down, put Christianity 301. Okay. <laughs> if you're brand new with us this morning, don't try this at home. <laughs> don't just walk out there and say, okay, my circumstances are saving me. And by the way, that's why we did three weeks in Meanwhile. <laughs> We've been through this already, class. We've done Christianity 201 in the Meanwhile series. And if you haven't heard it, go back, podcast it, work it through. Because yeah, I asked the question in Meanwhile that I know some of you wrestled with and said, how could he say that? That we would ask the question, could it be possible that God is bringing these bad circumstances in my life to save me and to grow me? The great alchemist. So I don't need to go any more on that. But look, the point being, if you can step back from your circumstances and ask, how is God turning this hopeless, baseless useless situation into gold you're ahead of everyone else and you're on the pathway to joy a spiritual buoyancy let me let me finish with this here's the other thing he does here's the other thing that you can do to find true joy paul enters himself and he enters us into a bigger story and craig didn't read it out this morning because it's one of those ones that's what happens as a preacher. You sort of go through and God gives you a verse that sticks out. And oh, I should have included that. Well, I'm going to now. Verse 27, it was the next one. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul says, whatever happens, live a life that is reflective of the bigger story. Have you ever noticed what accompanies kids when they have that pure joy? Have you ever watched kids when they're in that moment of joy? What, what accompanies kids? What context do most kids find joy in? Here, let, let me give you a hint. Here's what I reckon it is. Kids more often than not find joy in the context of a bigger story. 
a big story. What are, what are kids when they're most joyful? What are they doing? Who are they? They're princesses. They're, they're princes. They're heroes. They're fighting the baddies. They're, they're, they're part of the bigger picture, the big story, right? Uh, for, for me, it was, it was always, uh, not, I was always uh, Michael Hancock for Manly Seagulls. <laughs> and so my, my big story was I was always the Sea Eagles, Manly Sea Eagles on grand final day and my nan had a tree right in the middle of a housing commission backyard that was uh, a fork in the tree and there's not, nothing much else around a place but a football and a tree but it was just enough to kick a football through and so I would spend hours out there in the backyard visualising myself I'd pass to myself to score the try first because you can't convert unless you first score a try and so Hancock to Hancock to Hancock to Hancock Hancock sto- scores <laughs> And then, as, as every young boy does, I, I line myself up. There's 80,000 people watching me, and I'm looking at the uprights. And scores! Oh, you've done this, right? Yeah? Oh, it's just me. Great. Whenever you see pure joy, you're wrapped up into a bigger story. And the greats, the, the ones that wrote the best stories, actually understood the bigger stories first. In fact, Tolkien said that you, you need a bigger story. He says, yeah, what is it about Beauty and the Beast that, that captures you and resonates with your heart? That it doesn't mean how ugly you are, but in fact it's the bestowing of the love and the kiss without your trying that transforms you. What a sleeping beauty that someone would come in from the outside and love you whilst you are dead and bring you to life again? Peter Pan? That we never grow up? That we always have fun and we can fly? There is a bass note in your soul whenever you hear these things and you watch these movies and as much as they're a story in your head, whenever you watch them, have you not felt this, that something deep within you, a base note of your soul resonates? It's like when you hear these stories, you know, when you've got a wine glass and you hum at a wine glass and it goes, anyone seen that? Whenever we hear these big stories, there is something within us, right, that begins to resonate. You know what that is? It's your intellectual mind saying to, to you, this can't be true. There can't be, there can't be a God of the universe. There can't be a saviour. There can't be a messiah. There can't be someone who can fix me. There, there can't be someone who can lead me into joy. All of this can't happen. And then you read these stories and... Mm, You were built for joy. And whenever you hear these stories, your own heart reveals you. And I think for you and I, we've forgotten. I don't go out to the front yard anymore. I don't dream. I don't say Hancock to Hancock to Hancock. And yet we as the people of God have every 
opportunity to do that, to live a life this morning, Sunday the 5th of November. Live a life, church, Northside, that is worthy of the story that you have received. God has punched a hole in the side of the universe and he's come into that place in the person of Jesus Christ and he is fighting the forces of evil and he is pushing back the darkness and he has chosen princes and princesses and princes and princesses and princes and princesses to join him on that journey and tomorrow we've got paperwork to do joy is always found in a who not a what the greatest who that will never let you down because there are who's that have left us, let us down there are who's that have hurt us but then there are the who's that have brought us great joy the ones that bring us the biggest joy know us intimately and bring the best out of us that is him and some of you this morning, if you're not yet a Christian, maybe part of this pursuit of joy is because you've been chasing after the thing. And who's to say that that thing in your life is not the 2017 equivalent of a Sony Walkman and a Michael Jackson bad tape? I mean, it feels good right now. But it's an aging what? And something will steal that from you. But nothing can steal the joy that each of us share in the person of Jesus Christ and the joy that he elevates our heart into to realize that we are sons and daughters, princes and princesses of the kingdom and all of us have been commissioned this week to bestow love and grace and mercy and to unworld the world that is falling out around us. That is the purpose. That is the definition of life that he has bestowed upon you and your choice this morning is to whether like a child again you would discover the joy to take your heart back up into that truth and to walk out of these doors and to say, I'm part of that, and to rediscover it yet again. Let's pray. Father, we forget so easily. Help us, as Lewis said, to repent of our small ambitions. This moment of ministry now, Father, take each and every one of us that are your sons and daughters and lift us up into the reality of who you are and what we're doing here. Lord, I pray for those that are in deep trials like we've been hearing of Paul this morning. We pray that we've talked through so much of this that, uh, Lord, you would bring alongsiders alongside them in these moments in this week. But Father, for each of us, that as a church, we might rediscover that thing that resonates within us. And that right now, as we seek you, as our minds are turned to you and guided by you and your Holy Spirit, that all of us would be reawoken to the reality, the true reality in which we live, your kingdom. And I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.